0: On the Empire podcast this week, Evangeline Lilly drops by in a lovely big red top hat to talk about The Hobbit and her children's book, The Squicker Wonkers, and 27%er Benedict Wong comes in to talk, Marco, Polo. Polo, all that and more on the Only Movie podcast that recommends avoiding Finsby Park Station before 9 a.m. on weekdays. Absolute carnage. Hello, Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire podcast. Just three of us this week to Chow Young Fat. But what a threesome it is. First up, it's our film fact fiend, a man who's forgotten more about movie trivia than he'll ever know. It's Ali Plum. How are Hello. you? Hello. Did you know that
1: Christoph Waltz did the German and French dubs for uh-huh. *Inglorious Glorious Bastards? I did not know
0: that. Well, he did. Good facting. Uh, last but not least, <laughs> of all three of us, is our art house guru who's celebrating his birthday today. Hey. I, haven't, I haven't even wished you happy birthday. I'm oh. so, it's so remiss me, so sorry. At the time of recording, by the time you guys listen to this, his birthday will have passed. Uh, it is, of course, <sighs> Phil Disemlian, and even his birthday cake is subtitled. Uh. That's how much he loves art house uh. movies. Hello, Phil. Happy birthday. Hi, thanks very much. I'm conscious that there's been
2: talk of this becoming the plague cast over the last couple of weeks because of my, gruff, my my husky... A, a single tweet, cold. I think. <laughs> <laughs> the world is abuzz with this chat. <laughs> will they will they live another day or it will become World War Z in there?
0: Yes. I'm good. What was the question? Oh, hi Chris. The question wasn't a question. The question was me uh, wishing you a happy birthday.
2: Shall we have a quick... No, let's not. But me. when you say GoldenEye, I do you have that urge to sing GoldenEye. Do you ever have that?
0: dun 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 dun. No. Right. Uh, I do I do have the urge to get on the old N64 and have a quick scrummage around. Oh, you know, let's get that. Were you
1: playing rugby? <laughs> scrummage. In, yeah,
0: did you not it, get that? No,
1: it's a game we have to it's shoot a, people in the head. It's a hidden
0: level. It's a secret, it's level, a secret level. Yeah, it's great. I love that game. Amazing. Oh, All Nights so good. Finish yeah. your job, James, for England. Did mm. you see that? Buy me a pint.
1: <laughs> did you see that video, I think it was Jimmy Fallon, where... Pierce Brosnan plays N64 goal Knight with Jimmy Fallon and yes. Jimmy Fallon's just wetting himself he's yes. just going he says out loud halfway through I can't believe this is happening
0: yes. what I love about that was that uh, Pierce Brosnan had clearly agreed to do it and had never played the game before in his life or knew what was happening he, he didn't know um, that you should always play an odd job as much as you can
2: because the key's shorter and, he is shorter so, oh.
1: yeah, yeah. so the line of sight isn't the same
2: what's Sean Bean's character called? Alec Trevelyan 006 only you almost guaranteed to die early on if
0: you play him no because he he comes back he comes back you must remember GoldenEye oh yeah it's a film that makes me uh, you know it just gives me the urge to appear upside down in someone's toilet cubicle and go so sorry forgot to knock which a, or get in a which tank a, and drive through a building oh, While adjusting your tie In cool in cool fashion Or have an absolutely dreadful score But I think we may have banged this drum before Just like Eric Serra does in his silly little drums Anyway, speaking of Bond In a way, way, way of interesting segue Your questions you've been sending to us all week via Twitter Here's one from at NJMag He says G'day pod, I'm presuming you're Australian sir With a new Bond announcement Who do you think should sing the theme? I'd like, this is N J Mag. I'd like to see Elbow have a shot. I think it's
1: notable that Daniel Craig hasn't sung it himself.
0: <laughs> Is there a reason? Well, in the scene, just no, not in the scene. That would be ridiculous. Because <laughs> well, he's walking along, going James Bond, James Bond, James <laughs>
1: Bond. No, we've had a lot of discussion in the office about what whoever it could be, Adele, Sam Smith, whoever it might end up being, Elbow here. Mm. Might rhyme with Spectre. And so far I've got Overhead Projector. Yes. Tax Inspector. Phil suggested Bow and Constructor. Would you like a game of Connect Four? Ooh. Erector. Erector. Erector, yeah. Tip X Typo Corrector. Yeah. Rampant Conjecture. And... Protractor.
0: You could have a mathematical theme.
2: Arcade Fire had a track called Reflector. Yes. So why don't you use that? Why don't you make it Arcade Fire and just change the lyrics?
0: Just an inspector.
2: To Yeah, to, he's from Spectre... This he's, is a brilliant idea. Tyson's okay, I well, answer the
1: question with Arcade Fire.
0: I'm not. I'm not accepting that. My favourite Bond theme of recent years is the Chris Cornell one. Oh. I like the Bond themes when they go a bit rocky. Pearl jam then.
1: Has there ever been a song that says <laughs> James Bond in a James Bond song? No. 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 So why does whenever anybody <laughs> sings the Bond theme, it's always. <laughs>
0: Jimmy uh, Jimmy Yeah, that'd be interesting. Like Pearl Jam. What
2: the hell was that?
0: The name's Jam. Pearl Jam.
2: Oh, that's oh, very good. Just imagine a Mississippi Mud Blues Man. I've got it. You've got it. I've got it. Yeah, have got Two answer Brett McKenzie. Wow. Brett, Brett McKenzie. McKenzie doing a Flight of the Concorde style pastiche bomb theme for Spectre. <laughs> yeah. I think it would be amazing. Because it... he could do like
0: a, a sort of period homage to yeah. the early themes. Yeah. And it would be genius. That'd be pretty good. That'd be pretty good. I think. The, I think the uh, the bond theme should be given to whoever wins X Factor that year. Yeah, no, good idea. Good I think as a, a good show. And, and in fact, I'm going to say something now, which will which will earn me widespread derision, even more so than usual. I would genuinely, genuinely go for Rebecca Ferguson. I may have said this before in the podcast. It seems like I've said it before, or maybe I'm just, it's what I say when I get home at, uh, you know, at the end of the day and I rant to myself in the mirror. Rebecca Ferguson came second <laughs> in X-Factor of the Year. That One Direction came third. She has the voice of an angel. An angel, I tell you. And uh, yeah, she should do it. Satan was an angel originally. <laughs> just <laughs> as facts there for you.
2: Who's he <laughs> with? Universal? <laughs> Satan, yeah. Cyber Cow's protégé. Well,
1: there's an idea. You've mentioned One Direction. Surely that'll get people's bums on seats.
0: They could change the name to Bond Direction for the... Uh, the thing wouldn't they that'd be cool i mean they, they could surely
1: surely it'd be <laughs> one direction should be zero zero seven direction oh that's good
2: mm. 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 it's all right it's i'm actually the elbow going full circle elbow wouldn't be a bad pick for this and i
1: think a lot of people but have been talking about sam smith
2: as being sam smith, the yeah. shoe in. but frankly if it was a
1: again i'd be happy
2: just do the same theme as last time i really liked it that was
0: a winner specter Just not madonna basically no, not Madonna. All right, uh, let's move on. Next question is from at Ross T. Miller. Uh, Robert G. Durant, who says, uh, What's the best first performance by a famous actor, Duval, in Mockingbird, McConaughey, in Dazed and Confused? Uh, ooh, it's two, two shining examples for us to get to grips with and then spin off. I'm going to
2: count to three. There won't be a
0: four. I'm going to count to three. Oh, don't
2: beat my voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Goober uh, accent is is not good uh, I at heard all. But um, yeah, I mean, Alan Rickman had been in things on TV before Die Hard, but Die Hard was his big screen debut, mm-hmm. so, so that counts. That's an amazing. So that counts. Genius.
0: That's, uh, Dave Prowse in <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> Peter Mayhew in Star Wars. <laughs> i just noticed you're wearing a Cuban Fury sweat top. I am wearing a Cuban Fury sweat top. I didn't you know. Why do they need such a thing? To promote the motion picture Cuban Fury starring Nick Frost and Chris O'Dowd. Okay. Obviously, which is now out on DVD and Blu-ray. Why do you <laughs> ask? <laughs> I just think I heard the sound of a till receipt going.
2: <laughs> There's no corruption on this podcast. I just—it's interesting because you think, you know, if you're going to be sourcing hard, you're you not going to need a sweat top, are you? Well, just if, it's,
1: if it's first film? Would Shaun of the Dead, anybody there, be their first film, or were the actors in there all... Ooh, Dylan Moran,
0: potentially? It would be Nick Frost's first film, definitely. That's what I was thinking, and that's a bloody good job from Nick. That's a bloody good job indeed, a bloody good job. Uh, Taron Egerton, who's the star of Kingsman, the Secret Service, which is out in January, had never been on a movie set until he set foot on Kingsman for his very first day, and then he was strapped to a contraption. Uh, I believe it's called Colin Firth, and uh, and then just you know catapulted sixty feet into the sky. Well, not... Colin Firth is also a catapult. He's very versatile. He's a very good
1: actor. That's what you get when you He's win got an Oscar. That
2: in the locker, not to um, I mean this can't live with that. But um, Orson Welles. I know, I know. First day on Citizen yeah. Kane also catapulted across Sanadu He also wrote and directed that one, so that was impressive. aged and what twenty seven? A bit of a show off. That was one. he twenty eight? I don't know. He was young.
0: He's 25, wasn't he? Which is 25. Yeah. Christ, I think he was. that's
2: ridiculous. It is. It's crazy. That is genuinely it's ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it's like stop, stop doing it. A hey, 25 years old. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Recently, Jennifer Lawrence in *Winter's Bone*. Not bad. Oh, hello, Dan. No, Dan Stevens wasn't on debut in *The Guest*, obviously, because he'd been in *Summer in February* and one or two others, I believe. But you know, people sometimes just appear on the screen ready to go as a movie star, and Jennifer Lawrence definitely did that, I think. Um, Lupita Nyong'o in mm-hmm. 12 Years a Slave this year. But there's been lots down the years, hasn't there? Barbara Streisand in Funny Girl.
1: Was that her um, first film?
2: First film. Wow. Yeah. Tatum O'Neill, one of the great child performances in uh, Bogdanovich's Paper Moon. Mm-hmm. A film that everybody should see as soon as possible. Ed Norton in Primal Fear. Yeah. On a way, too.
0: The ones I usually think of are the ones who are famous for making inauspicious debuts. So you do get your Stallones in... I think was he the Italian stallion? That dreadful sort of semi-porn film he made, or you know his appearance, very brief appearance of Bananas, where he, you know, threatens Woody Allen on the subway train, or Sigourney Weaver showing up in ten seconds of Annie Hall. You think, I think of those, but of the great, great first-time performances, I think we've covered quite a few of them to be honest. I mean, the the two that are mentioned here, Duval in uh, *To Kill a Mockingbird* and McConaughey and *Days and Confused are, yeah. are are cracking. If you were to do
2: this for directors, it would probably be a much longer conversation. I guess that's because be, yeah. often directors have been you know, working on their craft a long time before they got their film to the screen, whereas actors learn as they go.
0: I don't know. That would be my guess. That would be the guess. I think that's a good list. I think it's a good list. Let's move on to one very, very last question. This is from at Mr. Oliver Warman, who says, do you have the balls to discuss this on the Empire podcast? And then he leaks to a Gawker uh, story about this Sony leak... Uh, which is if you haven't been following it in any way, shape or form is uh, Sony pictures have been targeted by a cyber attack of the last few weeks, which basically shut down their entire email system. People hackers hacked into the Sony system and uh, have got lots of confidential emails and documents and whatnot and have been slowly disseminating it in a WikiLeaks fashion. Uh, Some people suggest that this may be uh, linked in some way to the upcoming release of the interview that may be retaliation from a group who may or may not be aggrieved by that film's portrayal of North Korea and its leader Kim Jong Un. It's hard to say. North Korea have, have denied responsibility for the attack. A, gar- a group called Guardians of Peace have come forward and claimed responsibility for the attack. Uh, and the attack itself has, has garnered, garnered a lot of publicity over the last few days. I mean, there has been a lot of private and confidential emails that have, have made their way onto the internet. Featuring discussions between Amy Pascal, the, the head of Sony, and Scott Rudin, who's a major, major producer. He's a guy who's, who's doing jobs, and he did Captain Phillips, and works with the Coen Brothers constantly. He's big, heavy-duty uh, Hollywood producer, and uh, lots of other things as well. Where they talk about, there's talks about James Bond and what the next Jump Street movie might be, and Spider Man, and all this sort of stuff. It's out there on the internet if you want to get into it. Tricky one for us. We don't want to get into it because
1: we're ethical well, journalists. Yes.
0: We are journalists, I went, I have a course, I did a course, I have a document, I am a journalist, I took an ethics course and everything. For us this is very akin to the the, the iCloud leak, the hack into the iCloud that happened a few months ago where people's naked photographs were, were leaked onto the internet. We didn't talk about it then, we didn't share any information about it then, and we didn't look at them then. Trust us, we didn't look at them. And similarly it's the same thing with this, it's hard to avoid it. I know the broad strokes of what people are talking about because as they're on Twitter every five minutes, and you have people like Megan Ellison, who's the uh, producer of the New Terminator movie, and she's a you know, mini mogul in her own right. And she responded on Twitter to something that Scott Rudin said about her in an email. And she was she responded with, with grace and class, and it was very very funny her response. But we're not going to get into it because we didn't discuss the naked photographs and we're not going to discuss this. Just from an ethical point of view, it's something that Empire is staying away from.
2: It absolutely screws my Jobs updates. It does honest. screw your Jobs updates. totally screws it. It kind of does and it kind of doesn't because now well, Jobs
0: has moved to a different studio. is now at Universal. True, that's true.
2: Well, the thing about the, a lot of this information is that it is now of historical interest, I suppose, mm. rather than current news interest because these are emails that, leaked, that have come across... Mm-hmm. from the last couple of years so yes you know there's stuff about the new bond film which is now out of date i suppose but mm-hmm. you know and if you go there and you can go there because it's online it, it will spoil some pretty major points of yeah. you know interest so yeah
0: i mean just we, f- we- for me personally from an ethical point, ethical point of view a crime has taken place mm. these emails these documents should not be online and i'm kind of uncomfortable with the way people are clawing over themselves and certain websites are clawing over themselves to to publish it as quickly as they possibly can. Yes, it's kind of cool to get a little peek inside the Hollywood curtain and see that, you know, how, how the major, major players in the business interact with each other and what they say about each other. Yeah, That's kind of interesting but at the same time it feels a little bit shameful.
2: It, I think it would be to, to take it into a news environment like this podcast. Yeah. Um, I must confess for, um, for transparency that I retweeted the Gawker correspondence between Amy Pascal and Scott Rudin Um, because it was, you know, of interest from a jobs point of view. (laughs) Um, But I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of this stuff coming out from now on. And there is a point where you're like, actually, it's not good. It's not good, I think, for for moviegoers either, that this stuff is spilling out of one of the major studios in Hollywood.
1: Also, every good idea at its core comes from a spitballing, crazy one, right? Mm. Like so many things that we decide to do or I decide to do or I say to Phil how about this bad pun how about this good pun You know, we come up with absolute nonsense what if everything that you said which was a bit stupid and a bit weird and a bit how about that just everyone read there are some stuff that I read and I go well that's definitely something that people were just talking about and like you say happened two years ago
2: I think you're right Chris it is a crime and that does have to temper your treatment of it as a journalist I would say um, and it's not WikiLeaks either I don't know if there's a public interest defence for no. finding out what the plot of Um, twenty-three jumps. Twenty-three. Well, actually, maybe that one. But no, generally (laughs) there isn't a public interest. Not WikiLeaks. This is not stuff that affects our daily lives. It's just of pure interest. And you're right, it's criminal. So you have to treat it with. So, do we have the balls to talk about it? I think we we, just have. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, talked around. That's our that's our philosophy towards it. But I'm sure in weeks to come. It's going to be tricky because there'll be things we'll want to talk about that will be augmented by other news that has come from within this league, and we'll have to figure that out as we go. So,
0: yeah, yeah. Do we have the balls to talk about it? Yes, we do. Do we have the balls to actually engage with it? Uh, yes, we do. But we we we're ethically staying away from it.
2: Are we responsible journalists? Not yet, but we will be.
0: We're trying to be. One day. We're trying to be. Don't let the blue blooms win. That's what I say. Uh, okay, if you want to have your question read out on the Empire Podcast, then by all means, do send in. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Emperor Podcast or chances are we won't see it. Uh, we're on Facebook as well, Emperor Magazine. And of course, you can email us podcast at empireonline.com is the email address. Okay, time now for our first interview. Benedict Wong is one of those actors that we like to call the 27 presenters. They're a character actor to turn up and stuff and improve it generally by 27%. You've seen and enjoyed him in the likes of Prometheus, Sunshine, and yes, the Street Countdown episode of the IT Crowd. Now he's getting his biggest break to date as Kubla Khan in Netflix's epic show, Marco Polo. He came in to talk to Phil and myself about that Last of the summer wine and being typecast as a Chinese thug. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire podcast by the star of Netflix's Marco Polo, Mr. Benedict Wong. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello there. Good to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, is Marco Polo the most dangerous set you've ever been on? Because we ran a set visit report in Empire a couple of months ago, and there were talk. There was talk in that of white spitting cobras on the set and all sorts and you know are are you lucky to be alive essentially
3: Uh, yeah you're just gonna have very very quick reflexes Um, (laughs) that's it Um, yeah there was a there was a cobra there There feel free to
2: exaggerate by the way
3: There was a huge (laughs) coke. Yeah. No, they're just one size, aren't they, really? (laughs) Just big.
0: Just generally big. Even nowadays, in this golden age of TV, people Mm. think, oh, a TV show, and they think, oh, it's going to be quite low key, maybe quite low budget. But Marco Polo, I mean, you know, Netflix have have thrown a a fair amount of of money at this. Yeah. You shot it in the Pinewood Studios in Malaysia.
3: This is ambitious. I mean, we've got Netflix joining forces with the Weinstein Company, and, Mm. um, you know, I just. It just feels like it's come at such an amazing time, and John Fusco, um, his, his his piece of Marco Polo coming to fruition, and we've had about people from twenty-seven different countries coming all over to uh, to um, the this newly built uh, Pinewood Studios in mm. Malaysia in Johor Bahru. And um, we've been filming in Venice, Kazakhstan, yeah, and uh, we've just taken all over the studios, yeah. Get a chance to see what you would look like with a rock and tash. Yeah, but I sort of plied on the pounds a bit as well, because I think I put on about 30 pounds. Wow. Yeah, so
0: it was quite easy. He's quite a a big, burly guy. The uh, the Kublai Khan diet. What is a Kublai Khan diet?
3: Well, I think we're going to do like a side uh, a DVD's extra of like carn versus food, uh, <laughs> which you'll be s- hopefully seeing. You know, it wasn't as it wasn't as romantic as uh, De Niro's uh, walking around the streets of Italy enjoying the mm, delicious pasta. I think I wandered around the streets of London eating fried chicken, <laughs> uh, Kennington fried chicken, <laughs> Kensington fried chicken. Rather expensive, but uh, oh really. It's just Carp city, isn't it? You know. Yeah. But at the
0: same time, you have to, because you, as you said, you have, you know, there's there's elaborate fight sequences, elaborate battle sequences. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I, I imagine at the same time, you have to keep yourself in some
3: shape. Yeah. yeah yes.
0: Yes. I mean, like, I'm kind of, um,
3: yeah, uh, keep myself agile. A, a, yeah. a, 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 a little bit sort of limbered up, but um, he's he's certainly someone who's past his kind of physical. Yeah. Prime. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Should we say like? You are like a worn warrior. I mean he I mean I'm playing him and he's uh, I think he's 60 at the time yeah. now. At this yeah. Moment.
2: Yeah. There is a, a very memorable moment where Marco Polo presents the emperor with uh, a ladle made from the bullsack sack of an elephant which he then <laughs> he then proceeds to use to beat a man to death with about three minutes later
3: yeah i think he had the same one Obviously, he wasn't pleased
0: <laughs> uh,
3: <laughs> yeah did, did you get to keep the ladle <laughs> you know what i think i went through a, a, a few of those actually yeah
2: You've been yeah. in two TV shows that have gone on to be, possibly even more, that have gone on to become feature-length movies. One, Spooks, which was you know, a one-off appearance, did, yeah, and, one and, of the, and State of Play, which, the fantastic BBC yeah, miniseries, yeah, which has aged brilliantly and, and you know, probably was better than the film, if we're honest. Any, other te- any of your other TV appearances you think would make good feature films? What, um, Anything you could see in a sort of feature-length context? What can I see? I don't. um do think the IT would extend to a IT crowd would extend to a film. IT crowd the movie. <laughs> I,
0: I would love to see Street Countdown the movie. Never mind IT street, crowd. That's prime, prime yeah, alone. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Do you get uh, do you get challenged often to games of Street Countdown?
3: Yeah, people occasionally say Street Countdown towards me. Or do you accept the challenge? I do, I do, occasionally. Yeah,
0: you have these rogue games in the street. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Only in outside. car parks. <laughs> yeah. Okay, outside what? Kennington Fried Chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're playing Street Countdown. What is Street Countdown? Street Countdown is is in the episode the IT Crowd, where uh, Benny plays a character called Prime, who uh, is kind of what did you said, the Lord Master of Street Countdown. It's yeah, basically, I as as I said in the show, it's Countdown but played in the streets. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 an it's an amazing episode oh thank you it's Cheers. it's fantastic and uh, I wanted to take you back actually to the beginning of your career uh, because one of the very first things you did we're we'll talking about TV shows you did one of the very first things you did according to the IMDb mm. was you were in an episode of Last of the Summer World.
3: <laughs> <laughs> is this true? this is true and um, I was working with uh, it was it was Blakey from On the Buses what's the actor called? no way do you remember him?
0: I do remember him we, we all remember, we all remember him. yeah
3: so he's dressed, well, you can only describe it as um, a Chinaman. <laughs> yes. Kind of. And he's going, um, oh, well, I suppose i it's better sell this bric-a-brick here or something. he tries to knock on a side door. And uh, he knocks on the door, and uh, I uh, open the door, and, uh, and I'm in a, a vest in an apron with a a meat cleaver uh, naturally <laughs> saying bog off your chinese twit and then uh and then you hear the uh the flutes of the uh well like in seinfeld there's the bass isn't it yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. and then i i think with um elastis and wine it was the flutes yes isn't it? and uh yeah i remember the uh the director just kind of going looking at me going give him more grease <laughs> and they <he> just slapped <laughs> this oil all over my vest and I'm just going, oh he's got to get better than this <laughs> <laughs> actually I've got a letter that I, you know, I kept this letter and it's like, dear Benedict I um, thank you for appearing in Aladdin Gets a, a, On Your Wake episode, sadly your character will
0: not be reprised I was, no, oh,
3: yeah I was, dude, I was saddened about that I want, I want so, a spin off, mm, uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, because I mean, because it's gone on for how many seasons? Uh, it's still going. <laughs> I think it's still going. No, it stopped. It has stopped. Yeah. It has stopped. But yeah, something like thirty thirty years. Yeah, something like that. Last of Summer Wine. Yeah. I, I mean, think- that's that's an astonishing introduction, I guess, <laughs> to screen acting. I wow. So Blakey yeah. was. Playing a Chinese, or he was yes. dressed up as a Chinese guy. Yeah, yes, yes yeah. okay. And your character was Chinese man, apparently. Yeah, yeah Chinese uh, man. Chinese yeah. man. Yeah. And
3: then I moved on to, I think, like Thug One. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> I think I was in a, I was in an episode. With At least them. I was one. At least yeah. it was Thug One, not <laughs> Thug, not Thug Three, not Thug Four. I remember I, it was with, um, with um, Brian Brown in a thing called The Wanderer. And uh, I I was on a, I don't know, I I never saw it, but I was playing some sort of kind of thug one doorman. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, you know, we don't let him in. We don't let him in. He gives us sort of, you know, 50 pounds and we let him in. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm a young actor. I thought, you know, I'll kind of milk this scene. (laughs) (laughs) He gives me 50 pounds. I kind of go... No, it's not enough. <laughs> so you start ad-libbing to Brian yeah, Brown.
2: don't do that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so that was my sort of very early on uh, career. But, you know, you kind of... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brian, Brian Brown does not react well to the improvisation. That casting, doesn't. don't do it. Okay. Because okay. <laughs> um, I read an interview with you uh, a couple of years ago where you were talking about typecasting mm. in your career. Is that something you've run up against time and time again? I'm guessing it, it yeah, is. Yeah, it's quite
3: a tough. It's a, it's uh, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, uh, I mean, I'm here speaking to you, and everyone can obviously hear them from Salford. Or, yeah, yeah. That when you leave um, college with your with your friends, that you you know you've been vying for parts against each other based on merit, and then you get out into that real world sometimes. Sadly, people are viewing you just as a race, and yeah. that's it, and not as an individual. And you kind of, yeah, it's it. It can be tough, you know. There's kind of sometimes you're playing. Yeah, in theatre, it makes it a lot a, a lot easier. But um, yeah, you ride the rough with the smooth. Um, but it's kind of like last year. I played. well, I played. I think I played about five or six gangsters, or kind of. But what do you do? You kind of sort of go, okay. Well, I'm I'm taking it, but I will take that role. But it's either it's in either a comedy or yeah. it's like say if it's like in Kick Ass, yeah. Kick Ass Two, yeah. or or something like the 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 Wrong Mans, or mm. or, or maybe if it's something slightly darker like Run in Channel Four or Top Boy, and mm. something like this is incredible. You know,
2: it's like maybe you've been waiting for something play like this the, the Martian is that I guess part four of your space what's the word for a four part thing well officially
0: now it's quadrilogy, quadrilogy isn't Quadrilogy, which is a made-up word but that's my space quadrilogy. Yes. Yeah. Yes, the things, space quadrilogy yes yeah, thanks guys anyone space quadrilogy we
3: have uh well you know I'm probably like five points in a pub quiz question questionnaire with sunshine and moon yeah and uh then obviously there's Prometheus and yeah, then, yeah the Martian yeah but it's kind of uh, quite strange and eerie, and I don't kind of question what's going on with my CV. But if you look at the film, there's certain films that I've done are starting to kind of turn into a paragraph. Like, On a Clear Day, mm-hmm. Grow Your Own, We Have Sunshine,
0: Moon. Yeah. Yeah, and uh,
3: I don't really know what's going to happen
0: is this how you choose your roles basically your career will form a short story by the time you're finished well yeah I try not to tell anybody that it's an esoteric way to do it I mean it's it's unusual that's for sure yeah Yeah. uh, yeah, more power to your elbow if that that works
3: out yeah I missed out on one fine day
0: (laughs) (laughs) there'll always be a remake I've (laughs) got to do that Yeah. yeah (laughs) <laughs> they'll, break, they'll reboot it, I tell you. <laughs> Would you play Leanne, the Clooney role or the Pfeiffer role? Oh, I don't. Yeah, I, look, I, I love a challenge. I'll go for the Fifer. Right, yeah. <laughs> you might yeah. as well. Yeah. I just wanted yeah, to talk about very, very briefly because we've got to let you go in a second about mm. that the, uh, about that sort of space trilogy, well, the Martian. You know, let's say it's a separate thing for the time being. Mm. Um, Sunshine. First of all, that, oh. it must have been an incredible experience working in that film.
3: Do you know something? It was. I was. Uh, I was in my bedroom in uh, in Salford, opening up, and this is a true story, this, a magazine, Empire magazine, mentioning that Danny Boyle was going to do Sunshine, and I went, i got to do this, just call the agent, get me an, an audition right. for this, and, uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it happened, and uh, it was an incredible time, we were... Uh, we all lived together in the student uh, student digs and kind of done. We had sort of uh, we had uh, lectures with the European Space Agency. We all um, experienced uh, zero gravity and four G. Oh and uh, we went to Heathrow Airport in a £60 million pound flight simulator landing planes,
2: and it was like it was so out there. It was amazing. I, I always uh, wondered yeah. what <clears throat> who is the messiest in your in your dorm. Set up when you were living together. How was Chris Evans? Uh, was he pretty squared no, away?
3: No, I, I think all I remember was we all kind of cooked. I think Hiriyuki Sonada had cooked the uh, salmon, but it stank the entire dorm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Really, I think. And then we were, then, them, uh, yeah, but we all, and, uh, yeah, he got he's got his guitar out, we're having a little bit of a sing-song. It's quite fun, actually. I never
0: cook salmon in, any, uh, yeah. in, a, not in not a in a sort of, of a shared space, accommodation. Yeah. Don't yeah. do it. It's 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 a it'll lead to a sticky end. But now you're doing the the Martian, your second go round with uh, Sir Ridley. Mm. And how's that comparing so far to your Prometheus experience? Oh, it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's
3: it's it's lovely to see him again. You know. Um, yeah, it's just quite. It's quite. It's quite the film. Who am I working with now? We're we um, working with Jeff Daniels and Kristen Wiig. Wow. Uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor. Le uh, who else? Um, Donald Glover, uh, Mackenzie wow. Davis,
2: and Sean Bean.
0: Yeah, hell yes. of a cast yeah that's and a, yeah. you're a boffin that's in just one, in his... our section yeah. stay yeah. away from
2: Sean yeah. Bean because he always he always cops it doesn't he, <laughs> he does, yeah.
0: <laughs>
3: yeah either him or me anyway so uh,
2: <laughs> the no, two of you go yeah. through the script yeah. go oh yeah. yeah. I've got page 74 <laughs> <laughs> you've got 90 suck right, it judge. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yep sticky hand in sunshine sticky hand to Prometheus yeah and, um, but um, I think I'm uh, yeah I'm sort of I'm grounded now in, the, in, spe- in this uh, sci-fi film yeah so
2: you must bring yeah. a lot of pre-knowledge to these things now. After all of your experiences on Moon and those other movies, you must be like, it's well, basically you no, know, You don't want to be the be, be the class SWAT, do
3: you? You just yeah, you do modestly kind of. No, I don't know. Mm. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, well, uh, Benny, it's been a pleasure, man. We've got to go. Oh, it's great. Do you yeah. fancy a quick game street countdown?
3: Come on, let's go for it. Here let's do it. Okay, let's go. Cheers. Uh, where's the car park downstairs? Downstairs oh. around the
0: back, yeah. Okay, This on, is Empire, we don't have a car park. But you do owe us money, actually, for your sunshine gig. Because we got you that like, gig. <laughs> That's a tenner each. <laughs> okay, Before guys. we let you. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thanks, Brilliant. Buddy. Thanks, Cheers. guys. Cheers. What a lovely chap, Phil. He was a lovely chap. And nice he's guy.
2: really, really good in um, in Marco. Yes polo polo
0: sorry guys i know let, polo. You let you down too late let you down sorry okay so time for now some movie news that hasn't you know leaked from emails anything uh, official and whatnot yeah
1: I've got, I've got something official but it's not necessarily new news but it is something i think we we ought to talk about on the podcast a little time after the last week's podcast obviously in between that time there has been our review of the year podcast which came out on thursday which you should go and listen to if you haven't done so already. It's about an hour and a bit's worth of us talking quite a lot of, of nonsense about um, a lot of our favourite movies and least favourite movies. Anyway, so on Friday last week, it emerged that Roberto Orsi will not be directing Star Trek Three. It was a bit of a coup for him at the time when it was announced. I certainly was surprised myself that the one of the writers, one of the co-writers uh, of the new rebooted version of... Uh, star trek as helmed by jj abrams had got the leg up he's been given the push-up into the director's chair and a lot of people were like no he's not the person we'd want to direct this one also we a lot of people are blaming him for the surprising nature of of what happened in into darkness he's now no longer part of the star trek 3 directing team he will be involved he's still there Uh, But he's no longer directing, and of course everyone is now enjoying the idea of who might be the next one. Jonathan Frakes, who directed uh, Insurrection, the Next Generation movie, and of course First Contact. He was Riker, the uh, best bearded man in in Star Trek universe. What a beard. What a beard. He also, I think, tucked his shirt down better than anybody else in that uh, bridge.
0: I'm not going to stand for that. He did a good shirt I'm not going to stand for that. Mm. Picard, man. Picard.
1: Also, there's that amazing sequence where he has his beard shaved in the bath in the bubble bath and it's it's quite erotic uh, anyway so he has thrown his hat into the ring saying wouldn't it be lovely if I directed that movie uh, the fabled Star Trek 3 or Star Trek 13 it is very unlikely that the Frakes will be given that shot we were talking in the office earlier that I think work after his Star Trek work and by the way Insurrection's pants uh, but <laughs> Thunderbirds is not exactly high cinema and uh, I don't see this happening people have also been talking about Edgar Wright and I would view that as quite unlikely too, but again, wouldn't it be lovely?
0: Would it be, uh, let me see, so Simon Pegg's in Star Trek thirteen, and Edgar Wright directs it. Does that make it a Cornetto film? Does that make it the fourth part of their, their trilogy? Who knows? If it crossed is a Klingon. True, yeah. If he's Worf's cousin. I like it. I like it. I I just can't see him doing it which obviously means the second this podcast gets uh, put live uh, there'll be an announcement that Edgar Wright will direct Star Trek 3 I just can't see him doing it you know I think he'll want to do his own thing next surely won't
1: he? I'm sure he'll be on the short list I mean so many people are on the short list but I just don't see it happening also there's not much time to get this done it needs to start shooting uh, in 2015 uh, for a 2016 release so it's a pretty tight turnaround Uh, so we'll see who they get but frankly I'm kind of pleased that uh, Orsi isn't doing this one because I think it needs a more established presence to um, keep this franchise going I agree yeah sorry I agree. Being
0: I frank agree. there. I agree it's, it, it's kind of interesting how Orsi who you know obviously was on this podcast the Star Trek at The Darkness Spoiler Special and whatnot that's a movie that for us I think has diminished it's in the time since its release and you could lay a lot of the blame for that at his door, you would think, but also he I think of the brain trust that worked on those movies, he is seen as the biggest Trekker, so it might be a good thing that he's still involved possibly to be some sort of custodian of the J.J. Abrams vision for that for that franchise, but uh, maybe it'd be nice to have a, a clean break It's funny because the first
2: Star Trek film the first of the reboot blasted the whole thing back, it became really big and exciting again, and the second one seems to have just let all the air out of that tire. It has a In a way that I just—they're going to have to start the whole thing over and, and re-excite people, especially as it's now entering a much more crowded franchised marketplace. So good luck to them, really. Just, uh, just swiftly, the Inside Out trailer broke, which is Pixar's. It feels like their most high-concept, tight, 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 wire idea for a movie for quite some time, and um, probably I don't know, Up or even Ratatouille. Uh, so it's exciting to see it and what they've done is they've basically just showed a clip from the film it's not done the trailer thing of skipping around the story because it's such a high concept thing if you don't know what it is it's basically the story's the emotions the five emotions inside your head joy and fear joy, right? fear, anger exactly uh, ambiguity um, ambivalence I, I may have got that wrong that itch in your bum when you've been sitting on the Itchy bus for bum, too long itchiness uh, isn't one of them but it's along those lines elbows again not really a common emotion oh you're, um, you're making me feel elbow is not something you hear oh, right. very often anyway but check out the trailer it's online right now
0: does anyone remember um the numbskulls
2: yes
1: from uh, of course the bino the bino it's very similar where you had yeah. different people but numbskulls was different because they had different rooms you had the ear yes. numbskull and you had the brains and you know whatever. Yes. whereas this is this for me is odd because for pixar that's all about rounded characters, believable for kids, or kiddie characters, that are entirely rounded believable beings, be they fish Mm. clownfish, or be they old men with sticks and floating houses this seems to be slicing up, in slicing up a a child into these emotions Mm -hmm. I feel that's not what Pixar is, now I am as ever ready to be proved horribly wrong by this but I find the idea of divvying up different characters and defining them by an emotion and I'm over-analyzing it.
2: No, I don't think you are. I think it needs, um, It depends upon, all Pixar films depend upon it working on that level, I think.
0: You need to... And I don't think Pixar would consider themselves to be making kids' films. No. Not anymore. No, um, no. Certainly not anymore. And this is Pete Docter, the man who made their last great movie and, for me, their masterpiece up. So I'm, I'm fully on board with it. I, I,
2: I know what you mean. They've got a job to do a bit further down the line in, in really selling how, how it's going to work. But I think the trailer is fun and... Just, and exciting and interesting and colourful and bright and got some funny bits. And yeah, I mean, it is a bit like a puppet show, isn't it? Like this girl's being manipulated by these five emotions and they're all arguing amongst themselves. Reminds me of a way that it probably shouldn't do of everything you always wanted to know about sex but were afraid to ask. When he's inside the brain, do you remember when Woody Allen's inside the brain and launching different sort of erotic sensations <laughs> around the body? <laughs> It's the least appropriate parallel ever. But it is a similar I, idea. I
1: prefer Chris's nun frankly.
2: Second bit of Pixar News is some plot details from Dory. Turns out that Dory's Dory's, Dory's child has been slaughtered by three wizened fishermen on a boat off New England, and she's looking for revenge in the Caribbean. No, sorry, that's the plot of Jaws th- 4. That's not what's happening. Dory is uh, basically looking to uh, find her family. So it's a similar sort of idea to the original, in a way, but it's now Dory's story. Uh, Ellen DeGeneres' character, who is famously forgetful, will probably have other challenges to face. But um, it sounds interesting. What's interesting about this one is that it was originally going to be set in a kind of sea, sea World environment, but SeaWorld is now in such bad odour after the whole Blackfish thing that they've had to steer away from that. Uh, there is still a kind of a marine conservation um, facility on the Californian coastline where the movie will be predominantly set and there's going to be lots of exciting new characters including an octopus sadly not the one from The Penguins of Madagascar a sea lions, and a beluga whale I'm excited I think I'm excited and this film is out <laughs> in July 2016 so not a while not for a while yet but they are at least telling us what to expect
1: In my head it's not like SeaWorld it's like the Marine Conservation Whale Centre in Star Trek IV The Voyage Home <laughs> where it's just lovely, lovely people having a lovely time walking around two whales who are also having a lovely time and sometimes Leonard Nimoy is
2: swimming with them. Yes, because yes. the first one was a bit Search for Spock, wasn't it? <laughs> so there is a clear, sort
1: of... There's a terrible, terrible essay to be written about the
0: parallels between Finding Nemo and the Search for Spock. Star Trek. Sea Trek. Oh, yeah, I will, I will write that essay. <laughs> Do it. Reach. I will not publish it. Just like my... Uh, 30 Greatest Movie Bus Moments Oh, the, the the greatest lost article in Empire Online history It's not lost, I do know exactly where it is It is lost There's a new I great bus I moment demand. we
1: saw in the Terminator Genisys uh, trailer which has the, a whole school oh, bus God. which is as long as a bridge getting flipped from what looks like bumping into
0: another car <laughs> <laughs> I don't know but that's a great bus moment uh, Last week we talked very briefly about the Star Wars trailer and the Terminator Genisys trailer We should very, very briefly mention that there was another cracker of a trailer this week. Obviously, discussing trailers in the podcast is a bit weird and redundant, because... Anyway, Mad Max, Fury Road. Last night, this trailer dropped, which is absolutely astonishing, and has just visuals that will blow your mind, and uh, I think it's got a lot of people excited about the possibility of Mad Max, Fury Road. Which, in a year, with cracking trailers like Avengers Age of Ultron, and by the way, anyone watch the San Andreas trailer? I gather that the rock punched something. The uh, rock punches an earthquake, um, but the 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 effect already of the Avengers Age of Ultron trailer is being felt in other trailers because it's got an eerie song being sung in a haunting, lilting manner over Im- Im- images of destruction and you're just going, oh, really? Okay, that's very Age of Ultron-y. But yeah, and obviously the Star Wars trailer as well, but this trailer, Mad Max Fury Road, Wow. Go and check it out. Um, I've got a couple of bits of news I want to talk about. One bit of news that's really exciting me is the news that Al Pacino has had meetings with Marvel's Kevin Feige over a potential role in the MCU going forward. you got a great (laughs) big-ass (laughs) guy!
1: Terrible accent, but the joke still stands.
0: Oh, oh, Kevin. Kevin. Oh, yeah. I love it. Um... Shall I do Pacino doing Hans Gruber doing Eddie Fetter?
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't what's happening. <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, Helen goes for one week. <laughs> and suddenly, <laughs> suddenly we've got we've got a great big oh, ass cut. Oh I'm excited about this I I think it could be cool it may not come to anything obviously but Pacino I love Pacino and he's talking a lot more than he used to he's doing loads of interviews everywhere for everything so hopefully Al if you're listening to this and I know you are then do you know plant your ass in the pod booth when you get over to promote the humbling that'd be great and people are speculating about what he could do would he be a bad guy in Doctor Strange or uh, would he be Peter Quill's dad in Guardians of the Galaxy 2 the age difference kind of works for me that would kind of work I think that might be alright
1: I like the idea of a uh... Of a Doctor Strange villain.
0: Yeah. Maybe a Doctor Strange Dad. Ooh Jeff Strange. <laughs> Simon Strange. Yeah, Mr. Strange. Uh, it could be quite interesting, so Maybe.
1: that would be that would be fun. I've got a quick question. If Doctor Strange is a surgeon. Yes. Everyone knows that surgeons aren't actually doctors. They are very proud of the fact that they're misters.
2: Surely it should be Mr Strange. Maybe that's a British thing. We need Helen for that one. Maybe surgeons are doctors in America, I'm not sure write mm-hmm. in and tell us if you're a surgeon probably get back to work but then write in and tell us when you finished your operation
0: it might be a British thing yeah, Turk on Scrubs is a surgeon and he's a doctor isn't he tell you what you mm-hmm. carry on and we Google that this is this is what we're reduced to in the podcast we're discussing whether Turk from Scrubs is a, a doctor or a mister you're wondering where all these facts come from yeah. I mine them from my brain Austin <laughs> awesome news this week Sean Levy has left the Minecraft movie as I suspected and uh, last but not least John Lee Hancock is going to make a movie about the founder of McDonald's
1: because there's a story that will unite everyone. It will.
2: Al is pay Hamburglar. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you want fries with that? Okay, I'll give you fries.
1: Um, <laughs> All this-, right. this meat patty is made from a great big ass. <laughs> beepily beep, beepily beep. We've come back into the Empire Podcast. We have, Ali. We've come back a day after when we normally record it, which is
0: Thursday. Mm-hmm. So today is then Friday. Correct. So you're getting this on Friday. People are getting this on Friday. Phil is no longer here Yes uh, Yesterday was his birthday Today is his birthday plus one He had an accident with this massive uh, Basically it looks like a broadsword But it's also a lightsaber <laughs> And he chopped most of his body off Indeed It's further unfortunate mm. But now he's more machine now than man Twisted and evil uh, um, My cold is developed Apologies uh, for anyone who likes to the WC Empire Plague cast, You can now hear it in my voice Which you couldn't yesterday But anyway there you go We're back in the podcast booth Because Two reasons Number one, we wanted to talk about the Golden Globes, which were announced after we recorded the podcast yesterday, which is very nice the Hollywood Foreign Press Association to do that. But first of all, we're going to discuss last night's big news that JJ Abrams has revealed to Entertainment Weekly, and now the rest of the internet, uh, the names of the new characters we see in the Star Wars The Force Awakens trailer. So, John Boyega, the stormtrooper we see at the very, very beginning, is Finn. F-I-N-N Daisy Ridley getting on the land speeder in what may or may not be Tatooine or and on a giant floating magnum indeed is Ray R-E-Y which indicates that J.J. Abrams is a Crowded House fan and a Lana Del Rey fan and he's been naming these characters by looking around his record collection then we have Oscar Isaac the X-Wing pilot who is Poe Dameron Poe Dameron good name Edgar Allan Poe Dameron or maybe it's a Teletubbies tribute who knows and obviously a lot of wags in the internet have been going that sounds a bit like Cameron Poe from Con Air which is very very funny uh, and the person igniting a lightsaber the broadsaber is Phil the It's Phil the Semelin. he's more machine now than the man uh, it is Kylo Ren Kylo Ren K-Y-L-O R-E-N two names very interesting thing that's not been confirmed as Adam Driver, even though we all think it's Adam Driver. But, even though he's got a red lightsaber, we're pretty sure that's a Sith apprentice. He doesn't... He's not He's not called Darth. Not yet, anyway. Kylo Ren. Very, very interesting. So this is presumably uh, a Sith apprentice before he becomes an official Sith Lord.
1: could going if you can be a Sith apprentice, i.e. a noob, a massive yeah. noob, double O-B... 00B zero, zero and still have a kick-ass broadsword lightsaber yeah.
0: maybe that's how he got in
1: what well, he had the equipment yeah they said oh well come here's your audition come sit down sit down mm. Kylo why do you think mm. you're in yeah
0: Kylo well done you've made a very good point point. and BB-8 ah oh, BB-8 let's not, that's not yes. forget BB-8 the little ball droid the little gyro droid Was what people are dubbing it uh BB-8 BB-8 is his name Which is really cute And you just want a BB-8 Just to run around your home In a way that you don't want An R2-D2 to run around your home The thing is I like calling him Baldroid I do, yeah But Baldroid does have Unfortunate Slash fiction connotations Ah yes The infamous Baldroid Yes Of your 17 year old Slash fiction fantasies Yeah Poe so- Dameron unleashed his Baldroid mm.
1: Hmm Hmm so bb8 bb dash or bb-8 yes it's cute i actually quite like it i think it's all too easy to kind of cock up robot names and go letter letter number number letter number whatever and that kind of works yeah i have no idea as to this this robot's character but i feel like it fits it
0: rambunctious
1: cheeky joyful
0: slippery yes kickable (laughs) <laughs> Go which, is, which is good um, but the thing I like about these names and it must have taken JJ Abrams and, and Larry Kasdan maybe an hour <laughs> maybe an hour just looking around uh, how about I'm just looking around the office here the pod booth how about Mike um, it, You know, it, there's an element of that but I really like these names get used to these names you're going to be meeting a lot of babies with these names in a, in, a, <laughs> in about a year's time what are you called? Kylo oh Stand staying away from you though mate Damarin Plum. Yeah. What's your name? BB eight Plum. You know what I mean? It's just it's it, Poe Hewitt. Poe and that's a good name. Damarin Hewitt. Ray Hewitt. No, Ray's too Ray Stu. Anyway, um but what I like about them is there's a combination of you your, your typical names, which could be earthling names, so you have Finn, you have Ray, even though it's spelled slightly differently. But you also have names that are very Star Wars: Kylo Ren, Poe Dameron. These are names that feel very Star Warsy to me, and I wonder how much of that is the influence of Larry Kasdan, who is presumably, uh, you know, having written *The Empire Strikes Back* and *Return of the Jedi*, the man who came up with names like Bib Fortuna and Lobot. So, yeah, I think I think we're I think this is further proof that we're in good hands with *The Force Awakens*. Still yet to find out uh, what character what the character name for Mark Hamill
1: will be, uh, or of course. Luke Starkiller. Harrison Ford. What might he be called? Dr. Richard Kimball. Footy leg break.
0: <laughs> Pointy finger man. Grumpy voice. When I came home, there was a man in my house. Get off of my landspear. There was a baldroid droid in my house. You find that baldroid. droid. You find that baldroid.
1: droid. Oh, I do apologize. Uh, we have the more story. The other more story we have. The story. Yes. The Golden Globes are... <laughs> here oh, well not here they're actually going to be here in uh, in early January January yes. the 11th if you call that early January
0: I do call it early January
1: uh, it's taking place on a Sunday Tina Fey and Amy Poehler will be hosting again and not the rookie Gervais. And you're probably hoping that we can say Gold Globes, which is obviously nominated by and organised by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. The shadowy cabal of ancient film wizards. Just a bunch of guys in cloaks with uh, magical sticks that point at movies and make them successful. Mm. There aren't that many of them. It's not like the uh, the Oscars where it's this huge... That's even more complicated, but it's 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 a small select group of people who, who should know better. Yes. Well,
0: the Academy numbers thousands of people. yeah, not not you know not many. The Hollywood Foreign Press Association, apart from having a name, it's difficult for me to say, kind of fall between the Academy, which has thousands of members, and the Sith, of which there's only two. So there's somewhere in the re- in that region. There's about sixty or seventy of them at any given time. and they uh, do uh, have a reputation for the, picking things, yes, that maybe would
1: encourage famous, pretty, well-dressed folk Indeed. attention-grabbing uh, to come to their big party and have a lot of jolly fun. They're not allowed to breed, the Hollywood Farm Press Association. There's a lot of mystery about them. There's a, there's a handshake. Yeah, um, and, a special handshake. Uh, they have a symbol that's emblazoned on their chest and a tattoo mm-hmm. on their forehead. Anyway, so they have in the past, for example... Nominated the likes of Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp for The Tourist Which for me was the, well that's that then But this year I think it's reasonably respectable I think they've done pretty damn good There's no leader of the pack It's not so much a dead heat But a decent number of uh, nominations for the likes of As I say, Grand Budapest Hotel Into the Woods, which is Mm -hmm. a surprise Because it's not been that well received A lot of reviews still to come in of course Uh, Gone Girl and Boyhood Which has, has possibly done the best Uh, Richard Linklater um, Patricia Arquette Ethan Hawke Richard Linklater again screenplay
0: all pretty
1: good I mean I'm I'm quite pleased with this list
0: It's okay and what they do the uh, Golden Globes they split into two categories they have a drama category then a musical or comedy category then weirdly for Best Supporting Actor and Actress they just have one single category which just seems weird to me Uh, but there's some interesting ones in there really happy to see Pride nominated for Best Motion Picture in the Musical or Comedy category that's that's very good well done Pride Drama Boyhood Foxcatcher The Imitation Game Selma The Theory of Everything so some interesting shutouts if you will the likes of Angelina Jolie's uh, Unbroken uh, Brad Pitt and David Ayer's Fury uh, which maybe had been linked with being big old Oscar movies Uh, Clint Eastwood's American Sniper not in there Uh, David O'Yellow gets nominated for Selma Christoph Waltz gets his annual nomination uh, for Big Eyes, which uh, apparently is a comedy according to the Golden Globes. Really interestingly, in the drama category, Jennifer Aniston for a film called Cake.
1: Yeah, I saw a clip of her from this Mm. film and she looks quite distressed. Yes. And sad and angry. Apparently she's
0: uh, very, very very good in this film. You know any more about Cake? Yeah, Cake's interesting. Uh, We we haven't seen it yet. It hasn't started screening in this country yet, but from what I understand uh, it stars Jennifer Aniston obviously, and this is her big shot her big look at me i can i can i'm a respectable actress uh and she's a woman who joins a support group she's for clinically depressed uh and she meets this man whose wife committed suicide and she becomes fascinated with that and starts a relationship with the guy while digging into the circumstances behind the wife's suicide uh so yeah apparently people have been praising the performance so i don't think she's going to win but it's just it's fascinating to me to see Jennifer Aniston on that list and people are actually now beginning to talk about her seriously as a as a potential Oscar nominee which is uh, which is very interesting I wouldn't have said that uh, last year
1: you wouldn't have said that after watching
0: Horrible Bosses 2 well honestly you? I'm surprised she wasn't nominated for Horrible Bosses 2 in yes. fact I'm surprised Horrible Bosses 2 was overlooked in all other categories to be, to be quite frank with you is there a best allusion to defecation on the chest award there well, there, there should be
4: mm. next year
1: there bloody well should be it's not just movies obviously the Golden Globes it's also TV not much love for Game of Thrones Uh, in particular people have been rallying for uh, Peter Dinklage who didn't get a nod Sons of Anarchy in it's final season now no nod there, it's more of your usual suspects there really aside from Fargo um, which is good to see in the mini series uh, category but you've got in TV drama James Spade of the Blacklist, Kevin Spacey House of Cards, uh, Liev Schreiber, Ray Donovan um, and uh, pleasingly True Detective doing pretty well, and in there you've got both uh, McConaughey and Harrelson for best actor in a miniseries.
0: Yeah, it, it's a good lineup, um, and I say that I say it's a good lineup, and then I saw best original song. Go on, and suddenly the Golden Globes credibility was just blown out of the water. Go on, where is everything that's awesome? Where is it? It's not there. It's not bloody there. That's what I'll tell you. Where the five it? songs I've nominated: "Big Eyes" by Lana Del Rey of Star Wars fame, uh, from "Big Eyes"; uh, "Glory" by John Legend and Common. That's an interesting pairing. Wow, cool. Want we'll to hear that uh, from Selma? Uh, "Mercy Is" by Patti Smith and Lenny Kay from Noah; "Opportunity" from Annie, uh, which is an original song. Interesting. Uh, and then "Lord's Yellow Flicker Beat" from The Hunger Games, Mockingjay Part One. I really like that song. Good song. Good song. Fine song. It's okay. Where the hell? is Everything is Awesome where is Untitled Self-Portrait from the Lego movie how are these songs not, are they not eligible I'm, I'm intrigued I'm genuinely intrigued are Everything. they are they too good they must be too good they must be too good yeah, they must be too good um, Hans Zimmer was also nominated for Hammer Noetta's organ for Interstellar so it's good to see something came out of that everyone said he'd go blind but no he's got a nomination for it so that's good But notably, Interstellar,
1: really not anywhere else uh, on the list anywhere at all.
0: Indeed. Indeed. I still have a sneaking suspicion that Interstellar might sneak a Best Picture nomination. Because the The way the Oscars work, they Mm -hmm. have nine or ten slots, depending on how they feel. And the morning they wake up. Um, So it might sneak a a nomination, a kind of, we recognise your achievement kind of nomination. But it's not a serious uh, contender, I would argue. I think that is pretty much the end of our more news. Yes. Shall we go and um,
1: and get rid of these cults? What, by chopping our heads off with a broken lightsaber?
0: Yes, that's what the Man of Boots told me to do. Good. Beepily beep, beepily beep. Our second guest is an actress who stars as Tariel. Tariel, Tariel. In this week's The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. And who will be seen in next year's Ant-Man. Possibly starring Al Pacino as Hans Gruber. But Evangeline Lilly is also now a children's author with her first book, The Squicker Wonkers*, prompting people to go into a store and ask, can they get their hands on Evangeline Lilly's Wonkers?" with a straight face? She came into the office resplendent in a bright red top hat to talk to James Dyer and myself about the book, about hobbits and about wasps. Enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Evangeline Lilly. How are you?
4: I'm fantastic.
0: Excellent. You're not jet lagged at all?
4: I am so jet-lagged. I am so tired. That doesn't mean I'm not fantastic. Okay. Tired and fantastic can go hand-in-hand. Hand.
0: Okay, yeah. I'm,
4: I'm heading to my first um, first ever English book signing tonight, uh-huh. which puts me in a pretty good mood. I'm also wearing a fantastic red top hat, which you always are. puts you in a good mood.
0: <laughs> it's a bit hard to mention the top hat, given this is a podcast, but I, I'm fascinated by your hat. Thank it you. is
4: a red top hat. It's And it's not just a top hat. It's like a... Th- Uh, it's three stories high my top hat Um, I'm headed to a signing and I have started a tradition when I go to Squicker Wonker book signings of wearing Squicker Wonker outfits yes and so tonight I'm wearing one of my many Squicker Wonker outfits I found this hat today I found it in Camden Market that's a pretty good place to find a top hat it does
0: sound good it sounds if you want to find a top hat in London go to Camden Market that seems like the best place to me Uh, it's it is, it's phenomenal I mean I don't think enough people wear hats these days honestly
4: hats are a, they're a sort of a foregone tradition aren't they but they're yeah. so attractive I was saying when I was buying my hats today at the Camden Market why don't we wear more hats in photo shoots and of course my very bright partner said to me well because they want to see your face and your hair I, mean, <laughs> I don't care about my face and my hair I like fashion I like style
0: yeah but uh, but you have you've written a book I mean you're you're about to go to Forbidden Planet which is next door to us to sign copies of the Squickerwonkers uh, which is the greatest name
4: Thank you. And, and it sounds particularly good with any version of a British accent. <laughs> it does, especially Scottish. I'm a really big fan of Squishy the squicker
0: The squicker wonkers. That's right. You yeah, so Billy Connolly to say it.
4: I actually had Sylvester McCoy voice oh. the, the audio book because I wanted to hear the whole book in, in a Scottish accent. Very good. Available on audible.com. Little plug there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I have a question for you. So, the beginning of the book, you dedicate it to your mother and you say that she believed in this when she first read it 20 years ago. That that's right. Does that mean you wrote it 20 years ago?
4: Well, now I wrote it 21 years ago. Okay, no, fair, fair. <laughs>
0: um,
4: I was 14 when I first wrote The Squicker Wonkers. I was obsessed with Dr. Seuss. I thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And um, I thought if he could ha- have this sort of irreverent use of language and he could make up words when he wanted to make a rhyme, I could make up words when I wanted mm. to have a, have a bit of a laugh. And so I just sat in my room because I was a very cool 14-year-old with a very active social life and sat down. Down and wrote strange words that I thought sounded neat. And the one that stuck, the one that I liked the most, was the word squicker wonker. And so I wrote a poem to go along with it. And that poem is going to be released in the limited edition squicker wonker book coming out in December. So you can read the original poem I wrote when I was 14, which is different from the poem that you yeah. see in the book today. But the plot hasn't changed.
0: It will be good to see it in your uh, original 14-year-old handwriting.
4: You know what? The truth of that is yeah. that my original 14-year-old handwritten poem burned in my house fire in 2005. No! Yeah, there's a little drama for you. Oh, no. Spice up the interview. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you've been sitting on these uh, squickery words for almost 20 years before you started uh, writing it again. What, what brought out the, the squicker Uh, inside you, so to speak?
4: (laughs) (laughs) I was working on The Hobbit um, with Peter Jackson, and I would go into this amazing workshop he has called Weta Workshop in New Zealand, where untold amounts of creativity just ooze Mm. out of the pores of everybody that walks the halls in that workshop. And um, the workshop's amazing at fostering their artists to not only do incredible work for the workshop, but to also pursue their own passions and their own projects. So Mm. along with the task at hand, there's always... You know, personal passion projects sort of hanging from walls on cubicles, and everyone's got their little thing they're working on that they want to show you. And I thought, man, I've wanted to be a writer for about five years, and if this isn't my opportunity, Mm. if this isn't the moment that I should do it, I don't know what is. With all of these resources and all of this creativity at my disposal, Mm. I have to take advantage of it. And so my illustrator was um, an an artist at the Weta Workshop, and he loved the Squicker Wonker poem. And he's actually the one that suggested that the Squicker Wonkers be marionette puppets in a traveling wagon. The original poem, they were not.
0: Okay, so it's a true collaboration.
4: Oh, it was. I mean, I I rewrote the poem probably 35 times throughout the illustrative process because I loved his illustrations so much and I was so inspired by them. I kept thinking, well, it doesn't really work with the poem, but screw it, I'll just change the poem.
2: (laughs) As, as we can attest, writers, of course, don't make a particularly good living, so it's good that you have something <laughs> that can enable you to continue writing.
4: Exactly, exactly.
2: And this is, I mean, when you look at the story, it's it's an origin story, it's how she becomes a squicker wonker, so presumably you're opening the gates to, to many more adventures.
4: Mm, oh. Only 18. Only 18. Oh, good. <laughs> only 18. Not too many. Two series. The first series, The Demise of the Squicker Wonkers, will be nine books, and the second series, The Origins of the Squicker Wonkers, will be nine books. You've been
2: working also. with Peter Jackson too long.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I've heard people say say, you know how there are people out there who have commitment issues? They don't really like to commit to things. You might have an over-commitment issue. Everything you do runs on and on and on and yeah. on. First, there was Lost, that went on for six yeah. years. Then there was The Hobbit that was three three-hour films out of one tiny children's book. Uh-huh. Now you've signed up for Marvel and you're only doing 18 Squicker Wonker books. It's <laughs> only big things in my life.
0: I presume you signed up for, what, 35 Marvel films? Of course. I mean, who <laughs> hasn't? <laughs> We've well, signed up yeah, for 25. Really? We <laughs> <laughs> We're just in the background. Uh, you've just finished filming that, haven't you? I that's, did. That's just, I did.
4: Uh, and I had a great time.
0: Yeah. I mean, was that a strange experience for you, given everything that happened so publicly with, with Edgar leaving in the... Uh, the production Um, so late in the day?
4: You know, I think that for me, I actually hadn't um, signed my contract when the split happened, where Edgar Mm. um, and Marvel um, decided to go separate ways. And so I was in the advantageous position of being able to decide whether or not I would walk with him. Um, Because all of us actors signed on under the guise that Edgar would be the director, and we were all very excited about that idea, as was Marvel, very Mm. excited about the idea. We're all big fans of, of Edgar. And, you know, one of the things I was able to do was sort of just ride the process and see what the end result would be. Would it be that this film um, was going to take a turn for the worse because of these decisions that were being made? Mm. Or did it make sense? Was it just a creative difference and that it wasn't one wasn't better than the other? And ultimately, that's what I concluded was that um, Edgar was making a film that I would really like to see. And I would have really liked to be a part of. And, you know, I kind of wish we could do both versions because the version we made um, is a version that very much fits within the world that Marvel has already created. And their universe is so... you know it's it's so insular it's it's been created so that it's all encompassing and everything works together and you can take any marvel film and watch them back to back and it's the same world so that's what we created edgar's i think was in some is was in edgarland you know it was a different (laughs) film but like who doesn't want to be in edgarland so i kind of wish we could make both movies
0: Um, and you play hope van dyne who's michael douglas's hank pym's daughter Mm. Uh, what was that experience like being a playing michael douglas's daughter
4: When I first signed on it, it didn't really occur to me. Kind of how momentous that was. What a big deal that was. Mm. I just, oh great, Michael. Oh yeah, Paul. Cake wonderful. Great cast. I felt I'm very clinical about deciding what roles I'll take, and so I sort of am checking boxes. And Michael became a box I checked. Okay, great. They've cast that one. Well, moving on and sort of carried on with my process of checks and balances. And then I got to work and um, started working with him. And and then about halfway through my shooting, I had to do this very intense emotional. Scene. Scene with Michael Douglas, mm. and it wasn't until midway through shooting this scene with him that suddenly the penny dropped, and it occurred to me, oh my God, I'm acting opposite Michael Douglas. <laughs> this is a legendary star, and yeah. not you know he's he's a consummate actor, and and it it, it, it hit me, and the reason it hit me was because. I had been working with him for long enough to have mm. suddenly kind of realized, oh my God, he's such a force. You know, every time mm. he shows up on set, every time they call action, what he brings into the room, it makes the room electric. It sort of brings everything to life. And I realized I was, I was standing before and, and had the fortunate privilege of working with a living legend.
0: I imagine uh, as part of the uh, relationship establisher in the film, They might use pictures of uh, Hank and Hope as you know in earlier times. Hmm. Do you have to supply your own pictures, your own childhood pictures? I'm always interested in this. Do you have to supply your own? Do you have to go back and root through your stuff? And we actually didn't do that. Really? We
4: didn't, and I don't think you'll see that picture. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Believe it or not, I've had to do that before. I had to do that on lost once. That was very humiliating. (laughs) (laughs) I was a a very bad-looking little girl. I had Uh, buck teeth, freckles. No figure, no. I mean, I was like, I looked like Laura Ingalls. (laughs) Do you remember, do you guys have um, Little House on the Prairie over here? Uh, Yes. Yes. I looked exactly like Laura Ingalls. The two braids and everything. Wow.
0: That's amazing. Was that something you aspired to, or was (laughs) that something your parents just style you that way?
4: It just happened to be that every single member of my family looked like the Ingalls. We were the Ingalls doppelgangers. That's what we were.
2: And for everyone listening, which episode was that exactly? So we can go and find (laughs) (laughs) it. Every
4: every everyone, for the first, I would say, three or four years once she got older I don't know if we still I mean she probably got beautiful <laughs> but when she was young and awkward very okay. very similar so we should look for
0: pictures of her wearing a top hat and yes. see yes. and make a big, the comparison a
4: big tall yeah. top, red top hat
0: a big red top hat and, and the last thing I'll ask about Ant-Man is the, the Fandine name is generally associated with uh, wasp-like creatures or wasp-like that abilities. That is correct. Uh, can you give any indication where that might I go I can.
4: I can actually... I don't even have to hide. <laughs> um, my parents were Hope... I mean Hope, were Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne. So mm-hmm. my parents were ant-man and wasp Mm -hmm. i was raised by two superheroes so i'm a pretty screwed up human being (laughs) in this movie i am also fairly capable strong and kick-ass which is wonderful to play but the most fun to play was just how messed up she was from being raised by two superheroes and Mm. the the clear message sent by my name is that um i'm not a big fan of my father okay and so i took my mother's name
0: interesting mm-hmm. very interesting, interesting. interesting. and uh, and of course you've just reached the end of uh, of your unexpected journey with, with The Hobbit how does it feel now I mean do you have a sense now you're out of it I know you sort of you finished filming over a year ago but mm-hmm. do you feel now it's finally over I can put that in a box and that's that's done this part of my, my history.
4: You know, it, it went in a box when I finished filming. Really? And it okay. always does, because otherwise, you're just dying to see it, you kind of have to put it aside and forget about it, because you work so hard on a project. And then as you know, film actors, you have to wait a very long time before you get to see the final result and find out if people even like it. Mm-hmm. Um, so usually, you know, psychologically, the best the best route to take is just to for me anyways to put it aside put it out of your mind and then when you get to the premiere it's this grand surprise and it's this great celebration and you have a great time saying yay look what we did and everyone loves it isn't that great um, but you emotionally I ha- I'm not attached the way I was when I was filming
0: and uh, I just want to ask one last thing about uh, Lord of the Rings and uh, uh, sorry The Hobbit rather and, uh, and Ariel hell of an accent
4: oh, well, thank you
0: Oh well, you know, but where did it come from? Did you, uh, did you, did you study, or did you have anyone you, you were using as inspiration?
4: I am. A, I'm just gonna just sit here for a minute and just just accept and absorb that from anyone. <laughs> I am so. I am such a perfectionist, and I was so so scared to tackle an English accent because yeah. um, I know from personal experience just how critical English people are of Americans trying mm-hmm. to do an English accent, and. Um, i was terrified and of course because it's middle earth we had to do a p um an rp accent you know basically non-regional nondescript. and sometimes what happens with that is people will accuse you of of not doing an authentic english accent because they say but that doesn't sound like anyone living in england right now (laughs) um so thank you and um i give all the credit to the absolutely incredible dialect coach who worked with us leith mcpherson on mm-hmm. the hobbit mm-hmm. she and i would get in a room together and just geek out <laughs> she is a, she's nerds out she loves language we both love and obsess over language and accent and and especially elvish mm-hmm. really really like elvish <laughs> and i had a lot of fun doing the elvish but i was i was so so nervous and so paranoid doing an english accent because i just thought i'd get land-based so um thank you
0: so first day on set really nervous i'm like really
4: (laughs) really yeah really 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 (laughs) really really. i mean the amount of weight on my shoulder i was doing actually in my first day on set i got given the scene the night before we shot yeah i was leading like commanding a group of six other actors who had been working together for a year I was speaking Elvish. Mm-hmm. I was speaking in an English accent. I was pretending to be an elf, which I'd never tried to do before, let alone on camera. And I was healing an orc wound. So <laughs> it was. It was. I was very nervous.
0: <laughs> See, around here, that's just a Tuesday for us. Yeah. Did, the, uh, did, did the did the victim pull through?
4: <laughs> he did. Good. I succeeded. Just another day in the office.
0: Were you at all jealous then of the likes of Richard Armitage and uh, Luke Evans, who got to. You know, they didn't get to speak in RP. Luke rolls out his Welsh accent. It's, it's and, bad the moment. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and Richard Armitage has got a bit of Yorkshire in there. So were you, were you
4: jealous of those guys? I what? was jealous, but I wouldn't have traded places for the world <laughs> because I liked the challenge. Okay. I really, I mean, I, I was just, I love doing Tauriel. I love playing that part because I'd never been so intellectually challenged by a role. Yeah. Usually, I mean, the the role that I was most known for playing Kate on Lost was mm. not so intellectually challenging. You might be able to tell from the character. It was very emotionally challenging, but not so intellectually challenging. And I, am, um, I have kind of reams of intellectual energy that needs to be spent or I can't sleep at night. Okay. But emotional energy, I might be the laziest woman in the world.
0: <laughs> That's genius. Phenomenal. And I think on that bombshell. <laughs> It's time to say, for, well, Evangeline Lily, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you very Thank much. You. Thanks, guys. Thank
0: you. Thank you. I've got an interesting fact. Okay.
2: <laughs> okay. Surgeons Apropos are no man. longer called Mr. in this country either. And I think it's only a British thing. I think in America they're called doctors. Holy cow. But um, they want to be called doctors. Apparently. We've
0: blown this thing wide open. They're ending the tradition. Mm. How strange. Mm. you tie tired. There is a character in the Marvel Universe called the Owl. So that could work nicely for a Pacino. He could be going, Oh, oh, what are you, the fucking owl? <laughs> Just an idea. Just an idea. Uh, right, let's kick off the review section with. Basically, there's only one major film out this week, and a lot of movies running away from it. Uh, it's uh, The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. A directed course by Peter Jackson, our resplendent guest edited uh, edition is still on sale go and pick it up if you're a fan of The Hobbit if you're a fan of The Lord of the Rings if you're a fan of Peter Jackson if you're a fan of Michael J. Fox if you're a fan of magazines and if you're a fan of reading and if you're a fan of paying £3.99 for amazing magazines go and pick it up from all good and evil news agents right now Right, that's a shameless plug over Uh, Cuban Fury is also out on DVD and Blu-ray let's talk about The Hobbit The Battle of Five Armies this is the conclusion of The Hobbit Saga a saga that didn't start as a saga, but then turned into a saga. I can give you a brief setup as to what we're talking about here. Okay, uh, let me do a quick intro. So, Ali,
1: well, we're all going to talk about this one because it is the big movie, certainly of of this month, I'd say. But at the end of the Desolation of Smaug, shmaug. Smaug has been Smaug. Smaug has been. You know who'd have made? Sorry, Benedict. Who'd have made a great Smaug? Al Pacino. He really would have made a great.
0: So many dwarfs! Ah, 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 ah! I'm sorry. Well, out of his lair,
1: and he is about to set upon Lake Town. You've seen the great posters. You've seen our front covers. He's about to roast it up a notch. He's going to take the uh, oven setting way up to eleven. And it's Bard the Bowman, uh, as played by Luke Reddy Bloody Evans, uh, who is the only man with uh, with the bow to take him on.
0: The Black Arrow.
1: He's, he's right there, right at the beginning. That's the very first set piece of this film is, is the dragon happening. Mm. So I don't reveal too much because, believe it or not, some people haven't read the book uh, and they may not know what's about to happen. But that is the first set piece. But then, of course, you have the big battle between the elves, mm. the humans of yes. Lake the eagles, the orcs and the dwarves. Mm. And this all happens in and around Dale <laughs> and uh, the mountain and that whole area. Now, you were probably looking forward to this big, massive set piece, and I think it's fair to say that Peter Jackson was too. Uh, this is definitely, I think, one of those, well, now I'm on. I'm really making this movie now when the uh, battle actually happens. But again, for being a kid's book, a lot of different things happen that we can't talk about here. Uh, we There are some sad moments, uh, things, uh, characters leave us, all that sort of thing. There's a body count. yeah. There is a body count, there's no yep. doubt about it and uh, you do get plenty of action but unfortunately you do get plenty of waffling about and um, a little bit of going here then going there then picking this up and then settle characters and but yes this is basically a massive big battle with a little bit of Preamble beforehand. It is a fitting conclusion to this trilogy, as you say, and the Unexpected trilogy. It's still got similar problems to the previous two films. It's not up there with Smaug, which I we think I certainly think is the best of the three. Yeah, I think it's probably on a par with Unexpected Journey. I personally loved it when it was when it got going, when the battle actually got started. I was really into it and I really felt for it. There's some really lovely Jackson-like beats. There's, there's a moment where, where characters leap over each other. Legolas, Orlando Bloom's Legolas gets a lot to do mm-hmm. and looks damn good doing it. But I wonder whether with there being so many dwarves and so many characters and the way that this story is actually put together this isn't isn't necessarily Jackson's fault. It was difficult to really, truly, emotionally connect with a lot of these characters so that when things do happen to them, you don't necessarily feel for them. That said, it did get me a few times, especially with some of the bigger characters it's a good film and
0: it's well worth seeing on the big screen but it's it's a difficult one to review it is a tricky one to review just in terms of giving away plot spoilers hey lo and behold
4: we don't, have don't,
0: a don't. I know, we have, we're have we going to have two spoiler specials for this movie coming up very very soon first one is going to be with Philippa Boyens the co-writer of of all of the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies, uh, and uh, she's talking to Ian Nathan and Helena Hara. That one, she's talking a great a great deal about all the third act stuff, which is really fascinating because there's a lot of changes from the book, a lot of interesting things, a lot of little interesting tweaks as well. Because the battle essentially is taken care of after the fact in the book, and so there's a lot of room for Peter Jackson and Co. to to crowbar their imagination in into uh, so look, listen out for that one a couple of days after that drops will be the traditional spoiler special where we talk about it's the Team Empire talking about it and nattering about it in great spoilerific detail and that will also include an interview with Richard Armitage so do check those out where we can talk about the stuff we can't talk about right now having said that I th- yeah I you know what there's, it's, there's a there's a rush to kind of this the Hobbit trilogy, and I you can see that it it's not as good artistically speaking as the Lord of the Rings trilogy. That's absolutely fine, but for me this trilogy has delivered on a lot of levels, and this film delivers for me on a lot of levels. Uh, the spectacle you cannot argue with the spectacle. The battle itself is fantastic. the uh, The desolation of Lake Town, if that's what we want to call it, is great. There's a lovely moment between. Bard and Schmaug himself which I think people will get a real kick out of and there's a lot of good performances most notably Martin Freeman who I still continue to think delivers possibly the best performance in all six films as Bilbo uh, and Richard Armitage really comes into his own here as Thorne Oakenshield who succumbs, uh, he becomes the king under the mountain and he succumbs to a, a, you know, a dragon sickness if you will uh, which is left behind by by Schmaug and uh, you know all this contaminated gold which is gets into Thorne's consciousness, and he retreats from the the dwarves, he becomes much more paranoid, he becomes almost a villain in, in many ways in this movie. Uh, and I think this is the movie that Armitage just really looking forward to, though this is the arc that he was really, really looking forward to getting his teeth into. He gets an awful lot of stuff to do in this movie and he does it very very well indeed. Uh, great five sequences. It got me a couple of times, which is interesting because I haven't really, I'm a big fan of the book and The Lord of the Rings book, but I. Honestly, and I've said this before in the podcast, I haven't really engaged that much emotionally with the films. They kind of just pass me by a little bit. Um, But yeah, I really enjoyed this. And there's some just lovely little moments of visual invention and lovely little moments that happen in the battles, that, which goes on for a long long time, but I think people will get a kick out
1: of Dwarves look amazing in their big old-school dwarven battle armour. Yep. And it is one of those movies that if you really buy into this world, you will feel heart-sick that it doesn't exist. Why is there not this massive mountain? Why aren't these ginormous stone uh, dwarf statues just actually there? Why can't I go visit them? Please, why would I go to New Zealand if I ever go? Will it not really be Hobbiton? But it is not a perfect film by any means, uh, but it delivers, yeah. certainly, and I also felt watching it that it's yet another, well, I can't wait for the extended edition because then I'll find out this, I'll find out that, and there'll be more colour to this, that, and the other because there's just there's just so much going on mm. when you actually get down to it and he's been good on delivering the, the, the bigger, better mm. uh, extended editions.
0: Yeah, weirdly enough, this is the shortest of the Hobbit trilogy. This is two hours and 20 minutes, a brisk two hours and 20 minutes. And yes at the end of it I kind of felt myself going this could actually do with an extra 20 right. because there are so many subplots that aren't really tied up in a neat little bow and so many characters who aren't given the big send off I'm not asking for a Return of the King style 14 endings I'm just asking for some characters to be given their due and from conversations we've had with Philip Boyens and Richard Armitage there's a fair amount of footage I think that will be added to the movie in, in due course To
1: be clear on Monday is when you're going to get the Philippa Boyens this coming Monday which is let me work this out 12th the 15th December the 15th that's going to be like a half an hour like kind of mini episode and then it's on Wednesday you're going to get the full analysis plus uh, Thorin Oakenshield himself coming in to talk about it Mm -hmm. so yeah we are we're covering this film and uh, as we mentioned there is a a magazine of some sort which is uh, in part dedicated to Peter Jackson
0: and uh, these movies indeed four stars then for The Hobbit The Battle of the Five Armies a fitting conclusion I think to to all six movies unless of course Peter Jackson decides to actually make Silmarillion, In which case, we'll be here in another couple of years, just doing it all over again.
2: The last one was okay. The one before, I thought was really bad. And but I just did my dash with it. So I don't know. Just uh, yeah.
0: So you're one of the people I was talking about earlier on.
2: I oh, look. We sat in this podcast and we talked about this whole thing. You know, back when Guillermo del Toro was attached, and it sounded like really interesting. One Guillermo del Toro Hobbit movie. You know, I'd be first in the queue. Then it was going to be peter jackson and then it was two movies and they were like mm, okay that could work you know peter jackson be visiting his old ground that could be great and the hobbit i grew up with then it was three movies and you and the first one was long and i don't know somewhere on the line i've just sort of reached a point where i've had enough of of the hobbit frankly
0: it's very interesting, not a lot of films, a lot of films are out this week, but not a lot of films that are really going head-to-head with The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. Lots of studios giving it a wide berth, which is which is kind of interesting. There's a bit of a logjam over the next couple of weeks. We've got Dumb and Dumber 2, we've got Night at the Museum, Secret of the Tomb, we have Annie, Big Eyes, Exodus, Gods and Kings, Unbroken. All four of those movies open on the same day, Boxing Day. Uh, but everyone's avoiding The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. Presumably, I guess, because they expect people will just turn out in droves to see how the whole thing ends. That's my guess, uh, but very very briefly, is a uh, British indie called Electricity, which stars Agnes Dean. It's out in key cities uh, this week, uh, and Phil Kat's going to talk about it.
2: Um, I think this is the film that everyone's running scared of this week. Uh, Electricity. It's um, yeah, it's a low budget British film, and it is a, a story about a girl who uh, falls into comes into a bit of money, a windfall when her mother dies, and goes out and with her brother to find another brother of theirs who's gone missing who they thought was dead but isn't. And basically it's her journey and uh, it's c- complicated by her epilepsy which is captured uh, cinematically um, in this movie which, look, it's not fantastic by any means. We've given it two stars but I would say that Agnestine shows a lot in this movie. We saw her in Pusher, the remake of the Nicholas uh, w- w- Winding Riffin um her in the UK a couple of years ago and she was pretty good in that and she's really good in this as well and uh, you know fair play to her for really what's the Zoolander thing about the actor slash model model slash actress and the slashies she's so sort of past that I think her and Cara Delevingne as well is getting some good roles showing that you know models make good actresses too so good uh, good work her and uh, I wouldn't say it was a hearty recommendation but certainly something mm. to take from the film
0: uh, Two stars in for Electricity and uh Really, the only show in town this week is The Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff out next week. Like I said, Contiki's out as well next week, and that's. Phil- real good, yeah. Real go good. That. It's Phil's favourite Thor film. Uh, so, do. I don't know. Do, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to say it on your birthday. Just wanted to, oh, oh okay, happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Oh, oh happy birthday. <laughs> happy that birthday was next film. week's intro Chris has given me for my birthday. I know. I've, oh. I've blown my material now. Oh, well. Uh, that's it for this week's Empire podcast. Uh, join us next week for more film-related fun. And the last podcast proper of the year, the Review of the Year podcast, as Ali has said, is out now for you to listen to. Uh, get your ears around that. And there's two Hobbit Spoiler specials coming up as well if you're interested in that kind of thing. But the one next week is our last one until January 9th. Is that right? That's right. Yep. That's right. This also means that there have been over eight days five
1: podcasts so we are giving you value for money and considering you don't pay a damn thing uh, No, it's, it's, uh, so honestly yes I know there's a lot in your, uh, your inbox right now but you'll have loads of time with the Christmas period yeah we're we'll you...
0: taking a three week break so you, can listen, to the, listen. you can listen to the five podcasts fill both five... of your ears up the battle of the five podcasts uh, right okay uh, next week we'll be joined by Tim Burton uh, who's going to talk about big eyes and the dumb and dumber duo of Jim Carrey Jeff Daniels and Peter Farrelly will be in as well. Great maths, I know. Dumber and dumber maths, right there, right there. I was kind of, I was wondering if people might point that out, but yeah, I was worried. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Phil.
1: Happy birthday, man! Thanks. And it's goodbye from Ali. It's goodbye from me. I just want to make a joke, which was actually made on. I'm um, sorry, haven't a clue, but it was. There are eleven types of people: those who understand Roman numerals and those who don't. <laughs> that's what?
0: good I think that's good that's, that's pretty good look like we understand a yeah. joke Chris yeah just, just laugh and nod ok and it's goodbye from me I'm off to listen to my my pristine copy of Hans Gruber sings a song to Pearl Jam see you next weekend. bye